Hey everybody, welcome to You Were Born for this podcast with Father John Ricardo, Mary Guilfoyle. We're a couple of missionaries at Acts 29. And this is the podcast where we talk about the Word of God and how it wants to bring transformation and renewal into every area of our lives and the world. Mary, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too, Father John. I don't know if you noticed, I had to retype the date because I had mistakenly you put in there January 1st, 2023. I wrote out some checks the other day. Yes, I'm one of those people that still writes out a few checks to pay my bills. And I put 2023 on. Oh, I can't believe it. I that. hope they cash it. Oh, I'm sure they will. They want our money badly. <laughs> hey, I am super excited about the uh, podcast today because I think it has the potential to, at least for me, and I hope for others as well, to set a tone and a theme for the new year that has begun. I so what's that. our title? I love it. So our title for today's conversation is Either Or. Either Michigan wins and they get to the <laughs> national championship game next week in Houston and we're going. And you get on that plane. Or... They don't. So there we go. Uh, that's actually not the podcast, but uh, but it is true too. I'm pretty excited about that game as well. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just ask for your spirit to fall upon us right now and to help us to understand what it is that you re- want to reveal to us. Speak to us as you know we need to be spoken to. Encourage us, inspire us, send us out. Use us, broken, frail, flawed, sinful as we are, uh, to bring hope and transformation into this world that you love so much that you sent your only begotten Son, born of the Virgin Mary, for. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So the reading that we're going to break open for our friends today comes from Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 6. So rise up in splendor, Jerusalem. Your light is come. The glory of the Lord shines upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick clouds cover the peoples. But upon you the Lord shines, and over you appears his glory. Nations shall walk by your light, and kings by your shining radiance. Raise your eyes and look about. They all gather and come to you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters in the arms of their nurses. Then you shall be radiant at what you see. Your heart shall throb and overflow, for the riches of the sea shall be emptied out before you. The wealth of nations shall be brought to you. Caravans of camels shall fill you, dromedaries from Midian and Ephah, all from Sheba shall come bearing gold and frankincense, and proclaiming the praises of the Lord. So it's the Feast of Epiphany. Epiphany means manifestation, right? Making known, and clearly from the first reading, the operative word or the operative theme is light, right? So just look at how many times words show up. Splendor, light, glory, shines. Then you get the the opposites, darkness and thick clouds, and then back to shines and light and shining radiance and eyes and look about you. So the theme is light. And I don't know about you, but I think we as 21st century, in our case, Americans, we take light for granted. Oh my gosh, of course we do. And you know, oftentimes, like if there's a some sense of a storm and you're out of power for like a set of days and you're operating off batteries or candles, you realize just how, how much we do take 
that for granted. Yeah, I mean, I listened to this one podcast in the history of Rome, which I uh, enjoy greatly from my time of living in Rome, and I've just always been fascinated by the Roman Empire, and was listening to one episode on uh, life in daily Rome, and he just makes the observation, like, when they would eat dinner, and then, you know, kind of like late afternoon, because everybody had to be home before sunset, because at night, there's no light. <laughs> you know, um, so mindful of that, let's just try to dig deeply into what it is the Lord's revealing to us and ask a really simple question. What does light do? Oh my gosh, Father John, it enables us to see. Right, so turn that into the negative. No light, can't see. So this passage in Isaiah is uh, prophesying a role of the people of Israel, which is going to get fulfilled in Jesus because who is the light? It's the Lord Jesus. Meaning what? Meaning Jesus enables us to see. Here's a, here's a, we didn't talk about this earlier, but just a thought. This is, this is why faith isn't blind. Faith enables me to see. If I don't have faith, I'm actually blind. I'm, I'm like stumbling in the darkness or I'm stumbling in partial light, right? So Jesus enables me to see both who God is and then who we are. Yeah, and who we are, exactly. So he reveals to us who God is. Jesus is the, the image of the invisible God. He makes God present to us. He's God in the flesh. You want to know who God is? Look at Jesus on a cross. That's who God is. God is the one who loves us beyond all imagination, so much to the point that he's become one of us and laid down his life for us so as to rescue us from sin and death and Satan. But he also reveals who we are, right? Who who we are in him. It, it's it's only in him that we understand who we are, where our identity comes from. Yeah. His beloved sons and beloved daughters. Yeah. That that he's on the cross for me. And and he's not only revealing my identity, he's he's teaching me everything about what it means to be human. So like my challenge in trying to identify with Jesus is I don't know what it means to be God, obviously. But I don't even know what it means to be fully man because I, I got sin and selfishness and that's not being fully man, right? I, I pray over and over again to the Lord, like, Lord, teach me what it means to be human. I don't know how to be human, <laughs> you know, especially living in the culture that we live in. But it's not just Jesus who is the light because Jesus says, you are, we are in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. So Jesus is the light, but then he's trying to convey to us something along the lines of, but I have entrusted or placed my light inside of you so that you will then shine. So in other words, there's a mission for you and me as disciples, huh? It's almost, I mean, you were talking about, you know, uh, the word epiphany means manifestation. We are supposed to be a manifestation of Jesus. Yeah. Wherever we're supposed to, people are supposed to probably experience some sense of an epiphany if we're living fully the life that he's inviting us to live. I think they get more of an apostrophe from me than an epiphany. <laughs> but um, so, so let's ask, what is the mission? But let's hold on to that. So do we know, this is something that we continually beat the drum in on, uh, or on in Acts 29, what is the mission both of Jesus and the disciple? But before we tackle that, which is where the either or comes from. Let me share just real quickly two stories that I had, because I think these two stories, they've been helpful for me to reflect on with regards to the confusion that we have on the mission. 
of the disciple. So they're they're from two young people who are pretty much the same age, and I came, I encountered them both within about ten days of each other, and w- one was from an email that you got right. that you forwarded off to me that I answered, and it's from a young person who was watching the rescue project and loved it until the end, and then she hated the end, and she talked about how disappointed she was that it it looked like it was just all social justice. There was nothing in there about evangelization, nothing in there about getting people to heaven. It was just um, doing things for the world and how disappointed she was in that. And I think that comes from um, a really narrow understanding of the mission. One that, I, you know, you and I talk frequently about, I think I shared until not too long ago. Oh my right? gosh, Father John, I did as well. I've shared with you, like in my early 20s when I came to know the Lord, it was very much um, my striving by God's grace um, to grow in holiness and to cultivate um um, virtues. Yeah. And, and, and that's like super important. Like, like, yeah. like that, that is, that is very much a part of the mission. So I had that narrow understanding. Yep. And even as, even as, um, as I've, you know, grown and matured over the years, my, my, um, the way I see evangelization has even changed. So holiness, very, very important. Evangelization, very, very important. But it's somewhat new, I think, for a lot of us in Acts 29, the way you explain that that external mission Which we're gonna get to. has actually two right. prongs another to, side it. to the coin. So what I'm saying is like, I totally appreciate yeah. where this young yeah. college woman was because I think that's where a lot of us yeah, and were it, and, and I, still may be. Yeah, and I, I, I can easily fall into that too. So, so again, here, just what Mary said, like holiness, really important. Growing in virtue, really important. We could call that one side of the coin, and that's, as you said, the internal mission to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, to let him take back territory in our lives. But there's more to it, and that, that leads to this other story or this other encounter I had with a young person, um, same age, who's coming from a completely different view. So doesn't go to church anymore, raised in a really Catholic family. And, and as I was talking to her, the image that I had was almost like the Lord had was in the process of deconstructing a house that, that had been built, some good stuff and some not so good stuff, and then wanting to reconstruct it, like to give both a proper understanding of who God is and a proper understanding of what it means to be a disciple. And she was sharing with me just how she had gone to uh, Christmas Mass and almost walked out because she had felt like it was so utterly super spiritual. And she didn't use the word tone deaf, but that's how I would describe it. Tone deaf to everything that's happening in the world as if what we're celebrating today and what the scriptures are proclaiming today has nothing to say about anything of any significance. And what she was longing for, in contrast to the other young woman, wasn't for, hey, talk about Jesus and how he's you know, going to get me to heaven. But does Jesus have anything to say about, say, what's going on in the Middle East or what's going on in Ukraine? Or, or is the word of God just a bunch of pious words that really don't matter? That was her sense. That's how I interpreted it. So what is the mission? So you and I, I know, both love uh, this scripture commentator. His name now is, I think, Brother Simeon, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So some of you might be familiar with, with him. He wrote a four-volume commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, each of which is about 500 pages. 
And I think this is the, the most spectacularly rich commentary I've ever come across in my life. You could spend like a week meditating on just one page. But he's got a commentary I want to ask you to read, which is where the title of this podcast episode comes from, talking about the passage in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you are the light of the world and you are the salt of the earth. Share with us this because this is really the this is the meat in the sandwich, I think, for us to chew on for the week ahead. That's very, very rich. So he writes, in saying that his disciples are the salt of the earth, Christ is describing the critical character of the Christian vocation. Either the Christian heightens the quality of human life and makes it more palatable, more delightfully nourishing, or he has no reason for being. Full stop. Just read that again. Here's the either or. Either the Christian heightens the quality of human life and makes it more palatable, more delightfully nourishing, or he has no reason for being. He goes on to write, no doubt they let this happen by blending into the common environment out of exhaustion, perhaps out of fear to introduce a jarring note, a sharp, pungent flavor into the common endeavor. And doesn't that happen, right? We can, we can easily, I know I can, I can look at all that's going on in the world and I can go, oh, this, we don't have a chance. Or it's, a, it, it's just too much. Yeah. You know, I was talking to you uh, before we started to record a little bit ago and we were talking about, you know, the themes of light and darkness and, this one line, he says, um, no, doubt they're, uh, no doubt they let this happen by blending into the common environment out of exhaustion. Yeah. And I was thinking about dimmer switches. Like, like sometimes, like out of sheer exhaustion or, or, or being overwhelmed by what I see, I just shut down, I just like pull down the lever of the dimmer mm. switch. And the Lord doesn't want that. Yeah. But you can understand from a human perspective how we can just think it's not even worth it effort. And, and on our own power, by all means, it's not. Like, what 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 capacity do I have to change the world? Zero. But, bef- but, but by the grace by of God at work grace. in me, broken as I am, amazing things can happen, right? Keep yeah, going, because there's so much more that, in this. That, that dimmer switch up. So he goes on to say, uh, to the pungency of salt corresponds the brightness of light. By your mere presence, others sh- shall eat better. Christ is telling us, and by your presence, others shall see better. Salt and light each impart their own virtue, provided they remain fully what they are. Christians are the means whereby God wants to flavor life, to illuminate life. Do we not too often want to be the receivers rather than the givers? And do we not in this way become insipid and dark? The disciple himself is responsible if the world around him remains crouching in lethargy, untransformed. Christ has communicated to him his own substance, the salt and light of divinity, and these turn and become corrupt if they are not further communicated and consumed at once like manna in the desert. Wow, a lot there, Father. 
Yeah. So I, I just want to encourage people if, if you first of all get this book, which is just so rich by um, Mary Caucus, which is entitled It's Fire of Mercy, Heart of the Word. And there's four volumes. This is from volume one, and it's on that passage in Matthew 5, uh, verse 14. I think this is a brilliant exposition of the mission. In, in other words, so this here's how we talk about the mission. And I know we've talked about it before on the podcast, but it, I don't think we can do this enough because there's something really important that the Lord has entrusted to us. And it's, to use that image we used earlier, it's two sides of the same coin. One side of the coin is the internal mission, and the internal mission is to let the Holy Spirit, with my cooperation, bend back into conformity with how God created me to be, all those areas that the enemy has misshapen, and goodness knows there's a lot of them. So I often think of my my whole life as like a country, and there's all these flags flying in my life, you know, my mind, my memory, my imagination, my patterns of speech, whatever. And some of them have the Lord's flag flying in them, and some of them have the enemy's flag flying in them, at least at times. So the internal mission is to like take down the enemy's flag and to replace it with Jesus's flag. The external mission is to go out into the world and to take down the enemy's flag. Reclaim all that territory. To go do right? damage, mm-hmm. right, to the enemy's mm-hmm. kingdom. And so the, there's two dimensions of the external mission. One is evangelization, to tell people about what God has done for us in Jesus, because apart from Jesus, there is no hope. Nobody else has a remedy for death. Nobody else has defeated Satan. Nobody else has a remedy for sin. But it's not just evangelization. Yes, it is that, but it's more than that. It's also recreation. So this image of being light or being salt is a really helpful way to think about it. So I think what's so important about this is oftentimes, I know for me, and I know for many men, I I think for women too, I just, I can only speak as a man. There is oftentimes a disintegration between my faith and what I do for a living, or it gets reduced to, well, at least try to do it ethically. But I think it's more than that. You know, th- I think that's what Mary Caucus is breaking open. That's what the church has repeatedly taught. The mission of the disciple, the one that should just like get us out of bed in the morning and go like, holy cow, you want a grand mission? That's a grand mission. The mission of the disciple is to let the Lord use us wherever we are, whether as a doctor, a nurse, a football coach, a politician, an actor, an, uh, you know, a teacher, a radio host, whatever we do, to do it in such a way that it's more than just done ethically. It's done such that we try to let the Lord use us to bend that area back into conformity with how God created it to be. Mm-hmm. Like the enemy has misshapen athletics. So it can either be all about money or it can be all about ego and pride. But athletics is a good thing. So we're supposed to use it in conformity with how God created it to be. How many ways marriage and family and sexuality have been misshapen. And the Lord wants to use us in our vocations to, to, to shape it back, to put it back into conformity with how God created it to be. Or politics or law or entertainment. So everybody who's listening, like, you are the light of the world. And Jesus says, I want to put you on a stand. Well, where's the stand? 
wherever he places you. Yeah, wherever you happen to be at that particular moment. And he wants to shine through you. And in shining through you, he wants to, as you were saying earlier, he wants to use you and me, broken as we are, to enable people to see like, oh, that's what medicine's about. Mm -hmm. That's what law's for. That's what politics is for. That's how to play sports, whatever it might be. And in doing that, we, we joke sometimes, although it's not really a joke. You and I are old enough to remember when we used to sing the song, The City of God, which is a bad song. You shouldn't sing the song. It's a, first of all, it's a bad song, but it's also, it's not possible. You can't build the city of God, but you can build for it. And that's something very attractive, Father yeah. John. And I think in the Rescue Project, going back to that, that, um, the last video in the in the series that this uh, beautiful young woman had an issue with, that's why um, I think it's so appealing, especially to college students, because you've given that particular preaching live, and to see young people who are getting ready to step out in, you know, four years to become world changers, they're so moved by that because. They want to be handed something great and mighty, right? right? They want to be kingdom builders. Right. And, and, and we often see like, you know, our younger brothers and sisters on college campuses get roused to greatness. Right. And, and so to have this, this complete understanding of what the mission is, is, is life-changing, not only for our younger brothers and sisters, but for, but for us, you know, for me, like, like I want to leave this world having made a difference, and I know I'm going to stand before the Lord one day, and I think he's going to ask me, like, who are you bringing with you? And then also, what did you do? Yep. Like, like, what facets of the world where I planted you, the light where I brought you into, did you recreate? And he doesn't just, like, hand us that task, Father John, without equipping us for the task. He equips us with natural gifts and supernatural gifts. And one day we're going to stand before him with an accounting, like what did you do with the gifts that I gave you yeah. as a kingdom builder? Yeah. And I, th- and I think what strikes me so much, increasingly so as I reflect on this theme and as we talk about this theme in Acts 29 and our work is it, it gives me, um, it rouses within me a greater love for the world. Mm. Cause I, you, we can't say this strongly enough. Like God loves the world. He loves this world. That's why he made it. That's why he redeemed it. That's why he became one of us. And he's going to recreate it one day. But it also gives me a greater confidence in the power of the gospel. Because I think what happens sometimes is, especially it's so easy. You look at what's going on in the world. You look at the news. You look at all the headlines. And you can go, oh my gosh, we don't have a chance. You know, so we talk about the, the new evangelization oftentimes in the church ever since Pope John Paul II it's really worth remembering the old evangelization worked. Like the world was changed. It was radically changed. How? By the power of the gospel. That's right. And God's planted us in this particular day and age to do the same thing. And scripture says they turned the world upside, upside down. down. Love that Isn't phrase. Isn't that awesome? And that is yeah. the task, people. That, that That's the theme for 2024. Mm. Go Turn your world upside down. Mm. You know, I think the, the exhortation that I'm taking away from the scriptures, 
and that we want to encourage people to pray about in this week and in these uh, first few weeks of 2024, we think about New Year's resolutions. Ask the Lord, Lord, where are you asking me to turn my world upside down? Where do you want me to flavor or to illumine in such a way so that people see better, that life becomes more palatable, more tasteful, more tasty? Because right now, life is often very dark and very bland, and the gospel makes life exciting. And that's the mission, people. And because it's true, God can use people as broken as you and me. Do not be afraid. God is with you, and you were born for this. (laughs) 